Yo, what's going on guys? I am super excited to talk to you today because I'm 30 years old now. What? I know, and I'm also wearing a different t-shirt than I usually do. Uh, the warrior shirt's in the wash. So that's why I'm wearing a t-shirt that says Gainster. For everybody listening, it's, it's spelled G-A-I-N-S-T-E-R. Gains, because muscles, right? Anyways, I'm super excited to talk to you guys today about this topic. We're gonna be going over what classifies as an aerobic activity and why the heck does doing chores lower your blood sugar? So, let's get into the theme song. I've spent the last 10 years pushing the limits while identifying trends and patterns in my type one diabetes management. Follow along as I learn, apply, and share the fitness, nutrition, and lifestyle strategies that I've learned from diabetes experts around the world. The real question is, how can we live fearlessly with diabetes while maintaining stable blood sugars? This podcast is here to give you the answer. My name is Matt Vandevecht, head coach and co-founder of FTF Warrior, and welcome to Part of My Pancreas. All right, guys, so uh, over the last couple of days since my birthday was last week, I have had a ridiculous amount of phone calls. We've been doing with clients and with prospective clients. Now, on these calls, we go over what they're struggling with, what they want to achieve, how they can achieve it. We build out a plan for them, and uh, it's been really fun getting to know a few of our clients, people who want to join our programs. And ultimately, there's one question that popped up, and this was on a call from one of our existing Warriors Tribe members wanted to upgrade to our newest program, Diabetes in Action. Now, uh, and by the way, for those of you who might have heard of the Warriors Try, we've been launching it every three months for a while. You might have noticed we didn't launch it this last time, and um, ultimately it's because it's close to the public now, but just in case you're going back to the old website, which was thewarriorstribe.com, it's no longer, uh, you can't join there. It's a wait list. But, you know what? All right. Uh, go to that website because even though it is a wait list, you can still get some pre-sweet bonuses, you're first to know about things, and you get added to the newsletter. So I will recommend that you actually go to thewarriorstribe.com right now, sign up for the wait list, and then you're good to go. You'll hear about everything, you'll hear my emails for the podcast and for new stuff going on. Sometimes we have freebies and discounts for other products. Definitely do that. So um, I'll give you a second, pause this, Go to thewarriorstribe.com, sign up for the waitlist, come back to this. All right, now that you're back, let's go into our, uh, our topic for today. So the question I got on one of our calls was, I can't figure out why every time I vacuum, I drop super fast. In fact, I drop so fast that I get lightheaded. And I was like, oh, all right, this I can help with, right? Now let's break it down. What is vacuuming? Vacuuming, like most household chores, is a steady state activity where you're doing something low level, right? You're not breathing super hard. You're not sweating bullets like you would be in the gym. At least I hope you are. You better be sweating in the gym. But doing stuff around the house, vacuuming, cleaning the kitchen, moving the couch, if for some reason, if you're redecorating. Uh, these things are what we call low intensity, right? It doesn't require a lot of energy. It's not very difficult to do. And it's also gonna be what we call steady state. So this is something similar to if you were to go for a walk. Now a walk, what is that classified as? Aerobic activity. Now, for some of you, you might be like, Matt, this is a lot of big words. You're talking about low intensity, steady state exercise and aerobic activity. I'm gonna break it down for you, okay? So when I first became a personal trainer, right, I was going through my certification courses years ago and uh, they broke down aerobic versus anaerobic. Right now, aerobic activity, 
typically something like walking, running, hiking to give you real life examples because in, in the books they don't really give you real life examples. <laughs> but aerobic activity is any activity defined by two rules, okay? Super simple, you ready? The first rule is you have to maintain an elevated heart rate at a rate of roughly 70% of your maximum heart rate. Now, that's again, kind of high level, right? So what is a maximum heart rate? Maximum heart rate is the maximum heart rate that your heart can perform. So every time you start an activity or an exercise, your heart has to beat faster. It has to pump more blood throughout your body, improve circulation to help establish this new threshold for activity, right? So what is your maximum heart rate? Does it change? Is it different person to person? Yes and yes. Here's how you find it. There's this really cool formula. It's a little equation, super simple, and it adapts to you, which is super cool. You take the number 220 and then subtract, ready for this, your age. <laughs> it's super simple, right? 220 minus your age. So now, as you guys all know, I just completely told everybody the secret. I am 30 years old now, as of last week. So 220 minus 30, 190. Easy math, right? It's a little different if it's like 27 or something, but uh, my math, super simple. 220 minus 30 gives me 190. That is my maximum heart rate. So rule number one, remember, was to achieve a steady state heart rate, essentially consistently be at 70% of your maximum heart rate. So 70% of 190, I'm not, I don't have a calculator on me, but that's the equation, right? I think it's something like 135. So let's, let's pull some ridiculous numbers to make this easier. If my maximum heart rate was 100 and I wanted to find 70% of 100, what is that? 70. So then I would have to stay at 70 heart or 70 beats per minute, 70 heart rate, 70 beats per minute for the duration of the exercise. So find 70% of your maximum heart rate. That is your target for the entire duration of the exercise. Now, what's the second rule? Second rule pertains to the duration of the exercise. Makes sense, right? So what we're going for is roughly 20 to 30 minutes of this elevated heart rate being maintained at or around 70%. Does it have to be exactly 70%? No. Does it have to be exactly 20 minutes or 30 minutes? No. These are rough estimates, right? So find 70% of your maximum heart rate and stay there for roughly 20 to 30 minutes. This typically equates to going for a fast paced walk or a jog, doing that for 20 to 30 minutes, boom, aerobic activity. Now, what do blood sugars do during an aerobic activity? Typically, we see a drop. In fact, we see a pretty steep drop, right? Most people, when you start doing, and by the way, aerobic, you can just think of it as cardio. Easy, right? Cardio exercise, the cardio bunnies in the gym. You go on the treadmill and you run, that's cardio. So when we think of cardio, most of us associate that with a drop in blood glucose, right? Not everybody. In fact, there was a gentleman I was speaking at Kaiser Permanente once with an endo and uh, I gave this talk about aerobic versus anaerobic exercise and blood sugar impact and he pulled me aside afterwards and kindly reminded me that we are all unique and I had mentioned that but he wanted to give me an example. See, every morning he gets up and he runs five miles. And keep in mind, this guy was like 70. I was like, wow, that's incredible, right? Now, he told me then, because I, I had assumed that most people, as they do, lower their blood sugars when they run. He has to take insulin when he runs. 
In fact, before he runs. And if he doesn't take a shot of insulin before he runs for five miles, then he will end up spiking into a high blood sugar range. I was like, what? And my mind was blown. Anyways, that's just to show that we're all unique. You should do your own testing. Figure out what your blood sugar does in response to aerobic exercise versus anaerobic exercise, okay? Now let's pull it back in. Why the heck do chores cause low blood sugars? Why are they associated with low blood sugars? Well, oftentimes, and there are a few factors here, one, it's similar to an aerobic activity. What else is similar to aerobic activity? Sex. That's one that catches a lot of people off guard, right? Sex, it's, a, it's very similar to cardio. Your heart rate is elevated for an extended period of time. Now, length of time may differ, but that's a different story. Now, what I wanna get into is why chores are causing low blood sugar. It's because it's similar to aerobic activity. Remember aerobic, similar to cardio. Think about walking, hiking, running. When you're doing that, especially around the house, you're not just doing it for five minutes. You're actually hitting the threshold of 20 minutes, 30 minutes, sometimes an hour, hour and a half, and you're wondering why you're going low. What would happen if you were to go for a, a, a walk, a jog, or a run for an hour? Would you drop? I know I would. That is an aerobic activity. It's similar results. So, overall, when we look at chores around the house, when we look at running errands around town, when we look at anything that keeps our heart rate elevated, even a little bit, for an extended period of time, you are using glucose, your muscles need glucose, you need to use the energy that you have stored inside of your body, there's a good chance that your blood sugar will end up dropping. So, that's all of it in a nutshell. Chores will most likely cause you to drop. Different types of chores, different types of drops. For example, most people, myself included, when I go to mow the lawn, I will drop a lot faster when I'm mowing the lawn versus if I'm just spraying Windex in the window and wiping it clean, right? Different activity, it's a bit more uh, of a higher energy requirement. And as a result, I see a faster drop. Now, different variables, and I'm not gonna go too deep into this. This is what our program Diabetes in Action for, which you should definitely go check out. Um, what you have to be wary of is outside variables. Whether it's hot outside, that's a big one from on the lawn. Whether you have, and this one isn't necessarily external, but if you have insulin on board, massive factor. If you had a different type of meal than you used to, higher fat, higher carb, higher protein, whatever the difference is, take that into consideration. The food might have uh, a longer absorptive rate or it might absorb really quickly and cause a spike. Right, so there's a lot of different factors and that's exactly what we go over in our Diabetes in Action program. In fact, I have a free training I'd like you to go watch that is, uh, it was done a little, maybe a, a month or two ago, but I wanna reopen that. I know we had a couple requests actually yesterday uh, in my Instagram DMs for that training. So what I wanna do is give you guys access to that training. It is an older training, but it's still fantastic and filled with great examples. So if you are curious about what variables you should be wary of when exercising, especially trying to keep your blood sugar stable and in range, I highly encourage you to go check out diabetesinaction.com. That will give you a bunch of info. The webinar is about an hour long. Uh, it is a replay, so have fun. It's a great one. And uh, it's gonna go into a bit more of the variables than I can do right now, since I know that no one's got an hour for a podcast, right? These are typically a bit shorter than that. So uh, go check out diabetesinaction.com. Remember to keep an eye on which variables you are using, which, which variables you can influence before you enter an activity. If you can wait and minimize your insulin on board, if you can have a different pre-workout meal, if you can use temp basils, there's all these different strategies and I want you to go learn about it right now head over to diabetesinaction.com.
I will see you guys in the next episode. Have an amazing day and keep up the fight.